Vegas, live and underway here on ESPN, alongside Casey Keller. I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 330 of this show, one where we will try our best to tread on without Hercules Gomez. Surely enjoying a well-deserved day <laughs> off. And one where also, Casey, we will celebrate the beginning of the 2024 MLS season. Thanks for joining us, man. Great to have you with us. Pleasure to be here as always, so thanks for having me. There you go. Big shoes to fill, those shoes left behind by Hercules Gomez, but uh, we'll do our best here on this special Wednesday night edition of the show. Coming up, we're going to hear from Jeff Carlisle. He's going to bring us the latest on the U.S. Open Cup drama, what's going on with MLS and the referees, as well as some new playoff formats, or, well, old playoff formats that are coming back. Um, we're also going to be talking about PSV in the Champions League a little bit later on, Casey Keller, lots of uh, CONCACAF representation there. And speaking of CONCACAF, the W Gold Cup kicking off yesterday. The U.S. Women's National Team winning in style. We'll bring you those highlights. But let's start in Fort Lauderdale, the new home of Lionel Messi. Inter-Miami kicking off the MLS season at home against RSL. Year 29 of MLS, the first full year of Lionel Messi. We picked this one up six minutes in. Julian Gressel slamming it across. Luis Suarez nearly making it 1-0, Casey. Yeah, it's a, it's a decent cross into a dangerous area. Deflection goes over the crossbar. No real worry for Zach McMath. Worries for Zach McMath here. Lionel Messi with the free kick, but it's headed off the line. Casey, you love to get that kind of help. Well, it was a very interesting way that RSL decided to line up for that free kick, but it worked out. This worked out as well, though it was also close. Messi from the corner going for an Olimpico, still scoreless as we hit the 33rd minute. Jordi Alba with a shot here, but it's right at McMath. Not going to beat him there. More from Messi. Those dead balls, so dangerous. And how about this hit that just misses wide? Get another look at it here, Casey. Yeah, it's a good idea. Alba just doesn't quite hit it the way he would like. Those two, well-known for their connection. Surely it'll turn up later in the season. Inter-Miami would finally get their breakthrough. Casey, 39 minutes in. Lionel Messi ahead for Robert Taylor. Yeah, I think McMath had a good game. It was just, uh, you know, a big mistake. And it's one of the tough parts about being a goalkeeper is you can make three, four good saves in the match, but that one mistake comes back to haunt you, and it just happened in the first half, which opened the scoring. one nothing into the second half. Inter-Miami pushing for a second. Julian Gressel going to get an opportunity here and doesn't miss by much, Case. No, Gressel had a couple opportunities, almost against the run of play in the second half. RSL made some good adjustments at halftime and looked much better, but Gressel had the chances. One of the better chances there for RSL, but great calendar up to the task. Yeah, it was. It was just a straight at him, just needed to lift the arms and tip it over. Lionel Messi going straight at the RSL defense here from Suarez to Diego Gomez and Casey, it's 2-0. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's where the quality can, can hurt you. If you have a lot of the ball in that second half RSL, but then you open up trying to find the equalizer and the talent coming forward just punished you. Things opening up late. Luis Suarez thought he had one, but a big save from McMath keeps it at two. Yeah, really good save from McMath. And he just stays as big as he can as he slides back across to that near post and comes up with a big foot save. 
So the final score there at Chase Stadium. They got a new name for the stadium in Fort Lauderdale. 2-0 as Inter-Miami wins the season opener. Casey, we'll get to Messi, we'll get to Suarez, the individual performances in just a second. But big picture, what did you think of our first look at Inter-Miami this year in a competitive match? Well, I think it was kind of what a lot of people are expecting from Inter-Miami is to start games quickly and then the old legs will tire as the game progresses. And that's really kind of what happened in this match. It was a case where I thought they did a really good job of pinning RSL in their own half. RSL really struggled to, to combine through midfield and to kind of relieve some of that pressure. I thought they did well to, to make some key blocks when they needed them. Um, but then the second half, I think they just pushed a little bit higher. They didn't give that entry pass into Messi. And then because of that, then it was Miami's turn to, to struggle passing the ball out of the back. And RSL just needed to be more clinical. I think if they did, they had a better chance of, of getting a, at least a point out of this match. But then as they were pushing late, spaces opened up. And you, uh, this is too good of uh, a quality of opponent in, in Miami, particularly at home. And, and they made a bay. I think it, 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 the same thing. I think if Miami was a little more clinical, they as well could have scored a couple more. But uh, I, I'm a little bit worried, and I know this has been a theme of what they've been talking about Miami, is that with that many older players on the field, mm -hmm. particularly when the, when the weather starts to get a little bit warmer, how are you going to be able to kind of cope for 90 minutes? So I think uh, Tata will really have to figure out how he's going to uh, have some squad rotation and get some different uh, different looks because I don't think you're going to be able to play those four guys consistently week in and week out. Mm. Yeah, Casey, I got to say, for somebody who's been riding pretty high on this Inter-Miami bandwagon uh, on our show on Monday, I picked Inter-Miami to win MLS Cup. I picked Luis Suarez to win Golden Boot. I picked Messi to win MVP. I was a little bit underwhelmed tonight, and maybe that's natural. It's a regular season opener. They're not supposed to be at their best, but beyond underwhelmed, I was kind of disappointed, but not, Casey, in the way that I thought. You know, this is the first game of the season. Sure, you got some injuries. Kramaski's out. Farias, of course, we know is out kind of long term, but you had the big four. You had all four of them fully fit, fresh, in the starting lineup. You're at home. And you're playing an RSL team that, and I know things can change over the course of the offseason, but Casey, if we even go back to last year, they were below average defensively in the bottom half of the league in terms of, of goals allowed. I thought Inter-Miami would be much more dangerous uh, in this game from an attacking standpoint. I'm with you. I think RSL's probably feeling a little bit unlucky here. There were, for me, massive stretches in that second half where RSL looked like they were closer to a first than maybe Inter-Miami was to the second. So there are those defensive frailties for Inter-Miami. Maybe some of that is legs. But I got to say, Casey, I, I thought the attack would look better here today. I thought they'd really put up a big number against RSL. Am I crazy? Um, no, not necessarily. But I think the one part where you, where you got a question is a little bit, you're talking about that you said they were fresh. I mean, they just went on world tour before the season started. And, and you're trying to think that then they're going to be fresh for the opening game. Uh, you know, remember what MLS is about. MLS is peaking at the right time. And they were taking advantage of some marketing around the world. And then and it wasn't necessarily about getting yourself in the perfect position for this opening game. And and I think you saw that you saw that in, in that performance. Yes, there was moments, Seb, where the combination play looked really good, particularly in the in the first half, except for that final product that just kind of missed a little bit. Shots were scuffed or maybe the final ball wasn't quite there. 
then they got the gift of the opening goal, and then it was almost like it was uh, at halftime, all right, we're just going to cruise this. It's going to be easy. And give Salt Lake some credit. They they looked nervous in the first half. Second half, they didn't at all and, and really should have got something out of it. But, look, Miami will be better, uh, no question about it. Uh, as this, as this uh, season progresses, I think they'll get into more of a rhythm. I think – I think preseason was a little heavier than it than it needed to be, and wasn't exactly uh, the preparation for opening day. Yeah, there is some part of me. It's such a long season that wants to, you know, cut Inter Miami some slack here. You don't have to be maybe perfect from the get go. But if we think back, Casey, even to last year, uh, these guys hadn't had a full preseason. They kind of rocked up and took Inter Miami from the worst team in the league to the best almost overnight. So I think maybe just based on what I saw last year, I kind of expected them to be. Red hot from the jump here. Let's focus in specifically on Lionel Messi because he's the guy that makes everything go here. Um, he obviously maybe didn't have the massive performance that we saw, the, the, the staple performance that we saw in his first game in the League's Cup, if you remember, with that golazo against Cruz Azul last year. Nevertheless, I mean, he's at the middle of everything that they do well, isn't he? Well, and I think that's what you'll see a little bit more from Messi, I think, this season. I thought it, I thought it was really interesting when he came into the league just how much space they allowed him to get in behind and I, I don't think anybody's going to do that I think he's going to be more effective as he dropped a little deeper into midfield and almost played more as a playmaker and then come into the play a little bit later and 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 there, you, you still saw moments like when he had that little drag back right at the end of the game and McMath made a decent save from the angle He's going to torment defenders. There's no question about it. But I think he will also have a lot more assists, I think, this year as well, particularly with Suarez. That was dirty. I mean, the fact that he just went for a player on the ground, chipped it over him, and looked for the shot, I thought was hilarious. I started laughing. Yeah. He had the MRI in preseason. He had kind of the whispers of the muscular injury. And actually, it's, what's weird about Messi in this game for me is he seemed to get better. I don't know if you agree with this, Casey. As the game wore on, if there was anybody that looked tired kind of from the demands of this worldwide preseason tour early, to me it was messy. He didn't look like his, his usual self. But then as the game wore on, and really maybe it's because RSL opened things up, they're being a little bit more aggressive, but as soon as he had any little inkling of space late in the game, man, he really seemed to take over. So to me, um, I actually thought while, while the other players seemed to be fading late in this game, Messi's performance is, is getting better. The one guy who seemed to be going in the opposite direction, Casey, um, is Luis Suarez. I know he picks up an assist there late in the game, and I did, I did pick him as my, as my golden boot pick, but going off the eyeball test today, Casey, I mean, he looked every bit of 37, <laughs> and six weeks ago, he sat in front of me in Fort Lauderdale and told me his knee was okay. I should have asked about the rest of his body. I mean, I'm, I'm worried about Luis Suarez and how he's going to handle an MLS season after what we saw tonight. Well, I think part of the problem is, I mean, if you if, if, if you remember Luis Suarez in his prime, he was one of the hardest working players on the field. And clearly at this stage of his career, he can't be. So the question mark will be, will he, will he still try to kind of work himself throughout the match? Or will he just be more intelligent with the way he chooses to, to work and pick and choose the times when he really needs to be dynamic, which is what you saw in the assist uh, for the goal at the end of the game. But yeah, there was points in that first half where they were pressing Salt Lake, and I'm kind of thinking, 
I don't think a 37-year-old Luis Suarez is going to mm. be able to do this for 90 minutes. So I was, I, I loved the attitude in the first half, but then you saw a significant drop-off in the way that uh, Miami were able to press Salt Lake in the second. So, and and it was 68 degrees in Miami. Uh, wait till it's 98 degrees in Miami and 98% humidity, and see how you're going to press. But, but it, it'll be interesting to see because I know. Look, it's first game. It's your debut. You, you're full of energy. You want to really show well. And, and look, I've, I've always admired Suarez for his work rate. Now he's going to have to find ways to say, okay, we'll press for five minutes here. We'll drop off. We'll be used more of his intelligence than his legs. Casey, now that we've seen them in a, in a real game, you know, aside from the fact that there's age and you got to kind of watch the minutes of these guys and maybe the tactics towards the end of the game are going to be different uh, than the beginning based on everybody's health. Um, did RSL give us a blueprint? Did they show us anything today about how to slow down this inner Miami that maybe the rest of the league can copy? What did we learn tactically about this Tata Martino side? And maybe if there is a weakness for the rest of the league to kind of focus on. Well, you have to clog things up centrally. I mean, that's first and foremost, because you can see that the way they wanted to play, they really want to do one and two touch passing centrally and then find a way to get in behind you. I thought there was times during last season early on, I was just shaking my head and just going, why are you allowing 30, 40 yard space to get in behind? And and I think you have to start the line back. But 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 then I thought. There was almost too much respect from RSL in that first half. So it's finding that good balance between saying, okay, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to allow you acres of space to just make simple combination passes in behind us. But then we also have to understand that we still can't just pack in and, and allow all those entry passes to then turn and run at the defense. So, yeah, I think there was a little bit where you, you kind of analyze the first half of RSL and say, okay, Maybe that's a, a little bit too conservative. And that in, in the second half, I think if RSL was just a little more clinical in the final third, this could have been a different outcome. Uh, one last thing on this game, Casey. Uh, Inter-Miami not only got the job done, they got so they got the job done with replacement refs on the field. Of course, there's a referee strike going on with Major <laughs> League Soccer. Did you, did you notice the quality of the officiating at all in this game? Do you think it impacted uh, anything that we saw over the 90 minutes between RSL and Inter-Miami? I, I thought the refs did a decent job. I didn't see anything too crazy. I thought the only thing I thought in that first 15 minutes, uh, I think there was a foul somewhere on Messi that was a, a yellow card early. I, I didn't think that was necessary. Um, but other than that, I mean, I thought it was okay. I thought their their decision, I think they missed a corner at the end, but, I mean, big deal. But, I mean, it's it, uh, I didn't see anything. Now, when the NFL refs were on strike several years ago, it took a really bad call, which the Seahawks benefited on a touchdown very late, which was kind of that final straw. Now, I'm wondering, and we'll talk to obviously Jeff Carlisle about this, but I'm wondering if it's going to take some time and some really bad referee performances. Hmm. If, if the performances are like this, um, the refs might be on strike for a while. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I thought tonight's referee was uh, pretty good. He does have professional experience. You know, they didn't pull a guy off the street. He was... Uh, refereeing apparently in USL Championship before this, got a lot of college experience. But there was one time especially where, like, I thought there was a foul on Lionel Messi, and I was sure, I was like, all right, 
you know, this guy doesn't get to ref Messi a lot. If Messi looks at you and kind of demands a foul, he's got to he's got to make the call. <laughs> and he and he looked at Messi and he said, "Get up, man, get up, play on." Uh, and I was kind of shocked. Eventually, there was an offside that kind of bailed him out of having to really uh, say no to Messi. But uh, credit to the ref there, uh, standing ref, doing a good job in the first uh, in his first game, which is the opener between Inter Miami uh, and RSL. More action coming for Inter Miami. Next up for them is a trip to LA. Going to be facing off against the LA Galaxy on Sunday, and then a Sunshine State Rivalry Classic March 2nd. They get Orlando City in Fort Lauderdale. All right, for more on the uh, start of the MLS season, why don't we welcome into Football Americas our good friend and colleague. You can read his work over at ESPN.com. There he is, uh, Jeff Carlisle. Jeff, as you just heard us talking about, one of the many big stories around American soccer right now is what's happening with the referees uh, and MLS. Now, we had you on the show last week, and you were somewhat, maybe not totally, but I think somewhat optimistic that this would get resolved before the season opener. Um, where do we stand now, and, and maybe what changed from what you told us a week ago? Well, where things stand now is the two sides are not really talking. Um, you know, I talked to the PSRA earlier today and said, hey, are there any talks coming up? Have any been scheduled? And their response was to say that, you know, they, they requested a, you know, a meeting on Monday to kind of hash out a schedule and they haven't heard anything yet. And that kind of tracks with what Pro is, is trying to do at the moment as well, because the message I'm getting from Pro is that, uh, they want to get through these first, you know, a few games, this first slate of games, make sure that, you know, they get the referees in place. Um, and, and then, you know, maybe they'll have a little bit more time to, uh, to get back to the bargaining table. But I, I think there's also a little bit of a wait and see attitude on the part of, of pro and, and by extension MLS um, just to, to see how things shake out and, and see if, if there's any urgency that's added, uh, like Casey was alluding to, you know, in terms of a bad call that maybe, you know, tips the balance of a game in one team's favor. Uh, but at the moment, um, I think it's, you know, pro is content to kind of, you know, cool their jets and, and not really do anything. And uh, I think there's a little bit of frustration on the MLS slash pro side as well, because they thought they had a tentative agreement in place. Um, you know, I think they thought they were very close to, to getting this, this deal finalized only for the, uh, the PSRA membership to resoundingly reject uh, th this tentative deal that was put in place. So, uh, I think a little bit of frustration on, on pro side, and, and they're kind of content at the moment to just see how these replacement refs work out and, and, and again, see if any urgency is added to the situation. Casey, I know players generally hate refs. Give us the player perspective here. Like, what will they be <laughs> thinking about this situation? Well, I, I, again, I think it's going to have to be a wait and see because it's going to be a situation where you're waiting to see what referees you have and how well they, they referee the match. And, you know, I know we were all looking at this game today and, and, and wondering, you know, how, the, how, how they were going to uh, play this game out. And, and, and the refereeing was fine. So, um, look, when a call goes against you, you don't like the ref. When it goes your way, you like the ref. But, I mean... Clearly, the consistency issues players are always frustrated about, and and there's no question that there's been some frustration with MLS refereeing for some time. And you know, they've it's it's been something that MLS has been working hard with Pro to 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 try to make better and better year in year out. Um, this will be an interesting time to see, you know, exactly you know if the two sides come together and continue this process, or if this is you know, drug out and, 
and it just keeps kind of going and going and going. I thought the part that was interesting for me is you're getting some referees with some with some professional experience when, you know, the the referees association asked that none of these refs take these games, and clearly these refs were looking for an opportunity to ref MLS. Jeff. What happens from here, and I'm not thinking just MLS, because obviously this is affecting MLS now, but since it's, it's pro, like could this eventually spill over into an NWSL, into USL, or are those situations separate? My understanding is that those situations are separate. Uh, you know, there, I think there is a separate collective bargaining agreement that, that referees for the lower division games have. So that, I don't think there's any risk of, of this situation bleeding into that. Uh, but just to be clear, this is a lockout. This is MLS and Pro locking out the players. The, the, the referees are not going on strike. So, um, uh, you know, again, I, the key is how quickly the two sides get back to the bargaining table. Um, I think another item to think about is that there are two outstanding unfair labor practice charges that the PSRA has has, has le lobbied or levied against uh, Pro and MLS. So mm. uh, that might throw a little bit of a or create a little bit of a wrinkle in the negotiations because if those charges are upheld then since the you know the referees have been locked out uh you know that they, they will have to get reimbursed for the the wages and benefits that they've lost in the interim so you know i think that's another uh item to think about in terms of how these negotiations go all right not a strike a lockout we got to get we got to get our wording right here on uh, on football americas for sure all right, let's talk about another controversial issue here, Jeff, uh, one that we've talked about quite a bit on this show, and that, of course, is the Open Cup and whether or not MLS first teams are going to participate. Uh, when we last spoke about this, everything was up in the air. I think things are still up in the air, though it sounds like from your reporting we're starting to maybe get some, some details of MLS participation. There will be participation, it sounds like, Jeff, but maybe only eight teams. What's the latest? Where do we stand? Yeah, I mean, I think as recently as a week ago, you know, the, the situation was there was concern that there wouldn't even be a tournament in 2024. Uh, I think that situation has now been, been rectified by the USSF. Everything that I'm hearing is that the tournament will go on. And as you mentioned, uh, the expectation is that there will be eight MLS teams participating mm. and then uh, an un untold number or unknown number of MLS Next Pro teams that will also take part. Uh, then there's also the USL, uh, you know, just in talking to Paul McDonough, the CEO of the USL today, the USL owners are very upset about the way this whole thing has unfolded. You know, they obviously MLS kind of dropped the hammer in December. The USSF kind of fought back and said, no, you're, you're going to take part. And from the USL standpoint, you know, they thought that, okay, this is done and dusted and we're going to move forward at least for this year. Uh, but here we are in February, and, and we're still talking about some MLS teams taking part and, and some not. So uh, I think there's a lot of frustration and anger on the USL side. And now there, there are some uh, USL clubs threatening uh, to not take part as well. But I, hmm. I, I think ultimately, at least what Paul McDonough has told me, is that the majority of USL teams will participate. Now, that could be 25 teams or that could be, you know, all 47 teams. I mean, that, that still remains to be seen. Uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, the USL felt a little blindsided and, and are, they're a little frustrated with the USSF for, for not really enforcing the professional league standards that dictate if you're a top flight club in the United States, you have to play in the U.S. Open Cup. And so 
I think in some respects the USL feels let down by, you know, the way this whole thing has panned out. Mm. Uh, Casey, you're a three-time U.S. Open Cup champ from your days with the Seattle Sounders. But you also have the perspective, having played in England and Spain and all over Europe, Germany as well, of the true value of an Open Cup competition. So I just wonder what's your reaction when you see, you know, MLS threatening to pull, if not all, uh, at least most of its first teams out of the U.S. Open Cup. I'm I'm extremely disappointed. I mean, I, I think the U.S. Open Cup is a tremendous tournament, and as the FA Cup, the League Cup, Copa del Rey, uh, you know, Pokal. I mean, take your pick. I mean, they're, it's integral from the league and the federation in almost every country in the world. And, you know, I have no idea because there's so many people involved in, in U.S. soccer that are part of MLS and vice versa. How this has become such a disaster, I have no idea. I mean, I would actually love to see MLS and, and, and the U.S. Open Cup be an even bigger deal where you, like you see in most leagues at some stage, particularly in the early rounds, you have big weekends that are dedicated to cup competitions. So then that's different than a midweek game. I would love to see that for the U.S. Open Cup. But then MLS just starts inventing lots of other competitions. Maybe they just don't want to share the revenue. I don't know, Jeff. Maybe you know better than me. But, I mean, this is the oldest cup, cup, the oldest competition in American history. And the fact that they just kind of blow it off like it's, ah, well, who cares? We'll play the kids there, and then maybe we won't show up, and maybe we'll do this. I don't get it. I mean, some had some phenomenal times. I mean, Beating Seb's DC United in DC for my first <laughs> Open Cup was clearly a, a, a big part of my career. Um, and then being able to uh, follow it up two, two other times in a, in a much bigger, better stadium in Seattle. So, I mean, it, it really is just kind of one of those things. Wow, shots fired at RFK. <laughs> We're going to have to edit this segment uh, heavily. Jeff, I want to follow up on, on, on some of the tidbits that I've, I've seen in your reporting here because it's interesting, uh, you know, to Casey's point. Uh, you've talked to the gentleman, uh, Arthur Matson, who was the chairman of the U.S. Open Cup Committee. He has resigned. I'm hearing there's other people within that committee that have resigned as well. I don't know if you're hearing the same thing. Uh, what does that tell us about this process? Like, what are you hearing there? Because I think just from the outside, you see U.S. Open Cup Committee people resigning while this is happening, happening around the Open Cup. And it, it, it makes it feel like something stinks there, you know? Well, it tells me that the U.S. Open Cup Committee has been completely sidelined in this process. You know, when I talked to Arthur Matson, you know, he said he was told on multiple occasions to to stand down by, you know, some higher ups at the Federation. Now, he wouldn't identify who those higher ups were. But, you know, then it emerges that this, this subcommittee of the board of directors has been formed and that, you know, it consists of, of seven board members and that they are the ones who are, are talking to the, the various stakeholders and trying to sort this out. So, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the powers that be decided that what was really needed was a subcommittee and that, you know, the U.S. Open Cup Committee shouldn't take part, which is, it, I don't know if disturbing is the right word, but it's a little confusing. I mean, why have an Open Cup Committee if you're not going to, you know, utilize, you know, the people on it? And Arthur Matson is a former board member. He, he's not some guy who just kind of, 
jetted in and, and just, you know, said, hey, put me on a committee. I mean, this is a guy who has a lot of experience working with the U.S. Soccer Federation. So, uh, you know, th there's that aspect. Uh, I do think it's about money and control. Uh, I mean, you look at the properties that the MLS has been pushing forward, like the League's Cup, and that, that is a property that they own. They, they can't say the same thing about the U.S. Open Cup. Hmm. But uh, at the same time, I do think that they are they're, they're, it's a self-inflicted wound, I think, if you're MLS. And, you know, it, it didn't really need to be this way. Hmm. And I think there, there aren't many opportunities in the U.S. soccer landscape for the various tiers to be connected. And I think the U.S. Open Cup is a rare instance, maybe even the only instance, where those tiers become connected because you've got, you know, lower tier teams playing, you know, USL championship teams or MLS teams. And, and I think it's a way for the whole soccer community to feel more connected. And I, I think that is what is at risk of being lost if this, this, you know, this process continues. Because I think if MLS teams start to feel like, you know, we don't need to participate in this, I think then you're going to see a steady erosion in the, the money and the prestige of the U.S. Open Cup. And, and then you start to worry about, you know, the extent to which it can continue as, as a competition that, that takes up space and is important on the U.S. soccer calendar. Jeff, before we let you go, I want to ask you about one more thing. Um, we started this segment talking about the refs. It sounds like some of the new, not rules, but things they were going to try out, they've kind of had to shelve because of the situation um, with the referees. One thing we do know about this year, though, is that the playoff format is going to once again feature a series with three games, which absolutely everybody hated, Jeff. Why has MLS brought this back? <laughs> Money. They want every single participant. They want every single team that's in the playoffs to have at least one home game. Mm. Now, I, I think for the for the play-in game, that that's you know obviously not the case. But you know, you, you get the the eight teams that that remain after after the play-in round, and you're gonna it, every single team is gonna get at least one home game, and that's gonna bring in additional revenue. Um, you know, I'm sure it provides additional inventory for the Apple TV deal. So, again, I think money is, is what's driving a lot of this. And, um, you know, the, the worst case scenario, at least in my opinion, was barely avoided last year when I think, you know, Houston was able to, to, to subdue Real Salt Lake. And Real Salt Lake didn't win any games. They, they would have hmm. won two games via a penalty shootout, and, and Houston would have won one in regulation. And I, I just think that would have been – the optics would have been awful uh, for that particular situation in the playoffs. But uh, thankfully, it was avoided. We'll see if the same thing turns around this time. But again, money is driving all of this. Casey, best of three worth keeping around? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, when you think of every, every competition around the world, it's either the first team out the bag gets the home, gets the home draw, or it's a home and away. And if it's a home and away, two-legged series, to Jeff's point, every team gets a home game and a home and away, and then, and then you're able to kind of prove yourself. Look, if you want to do something different and maybe take away away goals or something like that, I get it. But the idea of this, you know, best of three series, next it'll be, you know, well, they, they do a best of seven in the NBA, so let's do that. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I've, I've, I've always been uh, a fan. I've always been kind of more of a traditionalist. And so 
you know, I, I don't like the idea of, hey, we're America, let's do something different than everybody else just because we're American. There you have it. A uh, different but new and kind of the same, actually, at the end of the day, playoff format for 2024. We get the one thing that nobody wanted to keep around, which is that best of three series in round one. We always want to keep Jeff Carlisle around. We've run out of time, though. Jeff, thanks so much for the time here on Football Americas. We'll read your work over at ESPN.com. Have you back on the show soon. Anytime, guys. All right, there he is, uh, Jeff Carlisle, good friend of the show. A reminder, we've got our La Liga sweepstakes uh, running over at ESPN Plus Soccer Sweepstakes.com. you got to tell us your favorite Sergio Ramos performance. And, of course, this is uh, all ahead of the Real Madrid against Sevilla match this weekend on ESPN Plus. Let's talk Champions League. Casey, Team CONCACAF, PSV taking on Dortmund first leg. Another round of 16, 16 minutes in. Chance for Malik Tillman. He's going to want that one back, no? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it opened up nicely for him at the top of the 18 and just drug his shot wide and at least needs to get it on target. Dortmund would break through in the 24th minute. Turnover in midfield. And the black and yellow strike through Daniel Malin to make it 1-0 away from home, Casey. Yeah, I think Sergio Dest does a good job of, of pushing him wide. And, you know, those are one of those situations in goal that, look, it's a good finish. I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from the finish. But at that angle, I usually would, would like to put myself uh, and say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that more often than not. But, look, it's a really good shot up high off the crossbar. So... Nothing, nothing really. I thought Des did what he needed to do. 27th minute, Chucky Lozano, who had just picked up a yellow card here, running one-on-one at Mats Hummels, and draws a foul from yeah, the German defender. Yeah, that's good Suing set piece. Oh, Tillman, another chance, Casey, the header wide. Yeah, you can see the, his own frustration. And uh, you know, you're not going to get a ton of these opportunities. And, and you need to be that much more clinical if you're going to go through in this tie. They would have loved to have had a, you know, another couple goals at home. Even, you know, take a 2-1 lead, let's say, and the opportunities went begging. Yeah, they were there for sure. Chucky Lozano with a nice pass to set up that chance at the back post for Bakayoko. But he can't quite time the finish. Almost caught it on like a short hop there. Missing. Chance goes begging there for PSV. We go into the second half and things... Turning good for the home side. Tillman into the penalty area, and he gets the penalty. Casey, you agree with this call? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Tillman does a good job, and it was. It was a reckless challenge. It probably didn't need to be made. There was slight contact on the ball, so I think maybe a few years ago that would have been reviewed, and they would have said, okay, no contact was made, no foul, but was awarded and good finish. Luke de Jong hammers home to make it 1-1. Ricardo Pepe would sub on in the 75th minute. He actually replaced Chucky Lozano, and he'd be involved not long thereafter in a very, very good chance for PSV, a chance that involved his U.S. men's national team teammate, Serginho Dest. Here they are hooking up. Dest going one-on-one. Peace. The shot saved, Casey. Yeah, probably not the best angle to shoot from. Maybe better option was just to square this ball, but 
did a really nice job of creating the space. Maybe it was just blocked there at the near post from Hummels and just thought he'd take the shot. But, uh, you know, not a bad result, Seb, you know. But uh, I think that PSV probably more realistically needed to take a lead into Dortmund to see if they're going to go through. But, uh, but I mean, look, it's, it's great seeing U.S. players involved in Champions League. It's great seeing them contributing and... Um, you know, hopefully they can they can turn this they can turn that second leg and 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 get a shock result in Dortmund. Yeah, Casey, we had you know obviously four players from Concacaf in this game, three of them that featured uh, in the starting lineup. And to me, the truth of it is, because we're watching those guys very specifically, is none of them had like that monster impact on the game. They all had little impacts here and there, but nobody really made the play. That's I think my biggest disappointment out of this. Chucky Lozano was for me the most active getting on the ball a lot, but the same knocks that we've had on Chucky with the Mexican national team, which is that for all his good play, there's not a lot of end product sometimes. Uh, I think we're clear in this game. Uh, I thought Serginho Dest was fine. You saw the best of Serginho Dest, right, Casey? Him going one-on-one. Uh, you also yeah. saw the worst of Serginho Dest maybe in the defense. And I think maybe to your point while we were going through that highlight and the decision-making as well, on that last play, you see Ricardo Pepe's there. Uh, maybe the game finishes 2-1 if Dest sides that across. But to me, the story here is Malik Tillman because of all the guys uh, in this team from our part of the world, Casey, he's the one guy who we didn't really know what we would get out of him this year, right? You figured Dest would start. You figured Lozano would start. You knew Pepe wouldn't start because they had Luke de Jong. Tillman is not just kind of jumped into a very important role with PSV, but he gets the start here in the Champions League. And in the highlight, Casey, you saw those, those two misses. Um, there was a chance even five minutes into the game where he makes a great defensive play and just misses a pass that would have led to a for sure one-on-one. -on -one. I, I don't want to sit here and say that Tillman didn't play well, Casey, but as I think of the competition at PSV and then thinking ahead to the national team, there's a lot of competition, but also some opportunities in midfield. If Tillman finishes like one of those plays or both of those plays, not only is it a totally different story for PSV heading into leg two, but we're having a much different conversation about Malik Tillman and the U.S. men's national team. Those were, those were massive moments in his career that, that just by inches, Casey, didn't go his way. Well, and, and there, I mean, it's a snapshot, right? I mean, and, and it's not necessarily, I mean, when you got to be a little careful when you talk about careers with one game. But, mm -hmm. uh, but, it, but, but what you're looking at is when you're, when you're coming from the Dutch League and you're taking that step up, into Champions League, but it would also be the same when you're making that step up to go to, say, the Premier League or La Liga or Bundesliga. You have to assume that you're not going to have as many chances, and you have to be a more efficient with the chances that you get. I mean, there, there's always been a, a knock on certain strikers and saying, okay, they need five chances to score one goal, and then top strikers need two chances or one chance to score the one goal that they need that will make the difference for your side. And I think that, that's where we're going to have to watch Tillman, you know, kind of in, in, these, in these more difficult matches. You know, we, we, we talk about, too, we talk about the difference with the U.S. men's national team playing against CONCACAF opposition and then playing against top South American and European opposition. And it's one thing if you look at the statistics – particularly over the last three, four years, that the U.S. has struggled against that top opposition. They haven't pulled off, you know, some of those shock results that, that we're used to seeing sprinkled in. And 
And, and that's one of those things because you know you're going to have a bunch of chances against lower opposition. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have those chances, as many chances against top opposition. So I think, you know, that's, I mean, that's where, you know, Tillman will be disappointed. But first and foremost, every coach will tell you, first I got to see if he's going to get himself into those situations and create those chances. Then I have to see, you know, what is the percentage of those chances that he, that he takes. And so, you know, good on the first needs to be better on the second. Yeah. Very involved, Malik Tillman. You also saw it there in the highlight. He's the one that loses the ball on the play that eventually leads to the uh, Borussia Dortmund goal. So some pluses and some minuses uh, on the day for him. Casey, um, I was watching this game, and it made me kind of think back to your career. Obviously, you know, you played for a massive club, Tottenham Hotspur. You played... Uh, in Europe for Rio, right, you made a, a pretty deep run in what was uh, at that call. At that point, it wasn't the Europa League, right? It was still the UEFA Cup. Um, so you know about these yeah, games and Cup, kind yeah. of what, what it means to come back to your national team from playing at this level. Um, the second leg of this Champions League knockout tie is going to be eight days before the U.S. plays Jamaica. The logical conclusion is that, okay, the guys that are playing here when eight days later they got to come back to CONCACAF and either compete against guys on the U.S. national team who aren't playing in games like this or compete against Jamaica, most of whom, you know, their players are not playing in games like this, it's going to put them at just like a massive advantage, right? They're going to come back and dominate. But we know that's not always the case. So somebody who's kind of been through that, where one week you're playing in the biggest games ever, the next you might be playing in a CONCACAF World Cup qualifier, how does that work? Can you take the form? Can you take the level that you're having in the Champions League knockout phase and bring it back to you to the national team? Well, you can, but it's always a little bit different, right, Seb? Because the difference is, is maybe what your role is for your club team is different than what your role will be for the national team. And I think, you know, I think there's at times where maybe let's say like, like, like Christian has thought, I have to do so much because there's so much expected of me with the national team where maybe either at Dortmund or, or at Chelsea, you're like, okay, I'm just going to do my part in the team. So you have to understand that that, that that can't change with the national team either. Yes, there's different responsibilities, but you still, in, in first and foremost, you just have to do your job within the framework that the manager is, has set forth for the team with the tactics. And don't try to overplay. I say it to a lot of, lot of young goalkeepers who are kind of either making their debut or, or you know, kind of getting some of these first experiences in, in, in big matches like this. Yeah, I want to come get every cross. Well, no, I can't come get every cross. I can only get the crosses that are there for me to come and get. I can only sweep up outside the box for the balls that I, can, that I should be coming to get. Don't do somebody else's job. You do your job well, and guess what? If someone slams one of the top corner, shake their hand after the game. You just do your job. There you have it. So a 1-1 uh, draw in the first leg between PSV and Dortmund's second leg will be March 13th uh, in Germany. That again, uh, the second leg of the round of 16 in the Champions League. PSV will play on Saturday here on ESPN Plus though in the Eredivisie taking on Svole. 2 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Pacific time when coverage starts here on ESPN Plus. Time to check in on Gio Reyna at Nottingham Forest. Casey, been a rough start to life in the Premier League, at least as far as playing time for Reyna. He was on the bench but didn't play 
as Forrest won two nothing against West Ham on Saturday. This follows Reyna getting a grand total of 29 minutes in his first two Premier League appearances, both off the bench as a sub. He also missed out in the FA Cup. That was a paperwork thing. Um, Casey, when this move was announced, opinion was kind of generally divided. Uh, we're now three weeks in. Are you preaching calm or alarm as far as uh, Gio Reyna's lack of playing time as it stands at Nottingham Forest? Well, I think it's still calm. I mean, I think it's still too early. I think any time you move to any club, <laughs> excuse me, it's always, you know, one of those situations where, you, yes, you want to see him thrown straight into it, but I think in the current situation that Forrest is in, I, I don't think it's, it, it makes sense to do that right away. I mean, of course, let's go three, four weeks down, and if it's still a lack of any significant minutes, and yeah, it'll be frustrating. But I think of the same thing is, is you know, Gio's a very young player still, and, and, and he's still looking to try to come back from the injury setbacks and, and, and the different, uh, you know, issues at, at, at Dortmund. And, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally calm right now. And, uh, but yes, there is that point where we're all hoping that there's a, a, long, a long, steady run. Look, we said the same thing about Christian at, 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 at Chelsea. We wanted to see uh, basically have that opportunity to be a starter week in and week out and contribute very well, either through form or fitness. There were some issues for that. Now Christian's gone to AC Milan and done very well in his start to that career. So I think we're still waiting to see, you know, where this uh, where this pans out for Gio. But, you know, with Dortmund re-signing him to a new contract, you know, no buyout clause, you know, there's still there's still a lot of uh, a lot of time left and 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 if this works or not, it, it, it's still no reason to panic. You know, this game obviously, you know, took place on Saturday. Um, and as I'm watching, I'm just thinking back to the discussions that we had on this show. I was pretty pessimistic when it was announced that he'd be going to Nottingham Forest. And it was this exact, not just game, Casey, really, but situation that worried me. Knowing the profile of Gio Reyna, knowing that Nottingham Forest is in a relegation fight, and knowing that he probably wouldn't be in the starting lineup most games, barring injury, he's just not the player that, if your team's winning in a relegation fight, is going to get brought on. And so there are many situations where Gio Reyna doesn't necessarily seem to fit what Nottingham Forest right now for their club needs. And the response that I got, certainly on this show from Herc and from others who kind of defended the move, was that, well, at least it's an upgrade to Dortmund. Anything is better than Dortmund. Um, and yet, Casey, if the goal was playing time, um, he's getting less than 10 minutes a game. He just got a DNP. Even at the end uh, of his time at Dortmund, he was getting 20, 25 minutes a game. They're a team in the Champions League, by the way, so he gave up Champions League football to be on the bench uh, in a relegation race. Like, I just, even three weeks in, even the low bar that we had set for what Dortmund was, I don't know if we can even look at this and say, well, at least... Um, it's better than Dortmund anymore. I, I think it may be worse. And the biggest part of this, Casey, is what does it mean for his spot with the national team? Because there are some guys, Casey, who can keep their spot in the national team without starting for their club. I know Gio Reyna's unique, Casey, and I know he's got a lot of talent, and I know he's probably the leader in the clubhouse to play that 10 if they play with that position. But is he still a starter? 
for the national team if he's not starting for Forrest? Because I don't see him starting for Forrest anytime soon. Well, I, I think, again, it has to be situational. I think it has to depend on what players are fit, what it looks like. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd love to have the uh, uh, kind of the ability as, as, as a national team to have such a deep squad that if some of your most talented players are, are, are missing some playing time at the moment that – you can then just go to the next one. Well, you know, we don't have that in, in particularly in, in creative situations. So, so it, there are times when, yes, it's not ideal. Of course you want all your players getting regular playing time, but it happens from time to time. And then that's up to the coaching staff, Greg, and, and, and the national team coaching staff to, to basically put together the team that's going to give them the best opportunity to win. And, uh, but there's no question that a lack of playing time isn't ideal for any player, much yet a young player. CONCACAF Nations League for the U.S. coming up in just about a month. Matt Turner will surely, Casey, be on the squad. The question is, what kind of shape will he be in? We're now going three straight Premier League games without a start for Turner at Nottingham Forest. He did get the start in the FA Cup. Uh, what was it, two weeks ago? And they won in a penalty shootout against uh, yeah. Bristol City. Uh, but his last league start was on January 30th against Arsenal. And, of course, since then, Force went out and signed Matt Sells, who's now the number one. From the national team perspective here, Casey, we'll dip back into the calmer alarm. Uh, what are you thinking about the U.S. number one being on the bench here in the Premier League? Well, I got a question for you, Seb. Um, mm -hmm. How many league games for Arsenal did he start before the World Cup? Uh, none, I don't think. Was there one? He got some Europa League games. Yeah, he got a few Europa League games, but, but never played a league game for Arsenal. So uh, I think, again, it's calm. Again, it's not ideal. Would you prefer to be have him playing week in and week out? Absolutely. But... Does it open the door maybe for a Zach Steffen again to work his way back into the into the national team forefront? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he burned too many bridges with some with some situations, but absolutely not ideal. Uh, when you thought that he's gotten himself out of the Arsenal situation where he was going to be playing regularly week in and wake out, and then. Just a combination of too many mistakes. And uh, Forrest felt they needed to go to a goalkeeper that was his, wasn't necessarily his MO that he was going to be a, a guy that was going to come up with a ton of saves for you, but just a guy that had the MO that he wasn't going to make many mistakes. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately for Matt, it was just a few too many mistakes. Casey, you're way too calm, man. This, to me, is an alarm on, on both fronts. I mean, from the national team level to the points you raise, there's no obvious person who's going to push him, right? It's like, all right, Zach Steffen came back to MLS. You know, that's going to be taken with a grain of salt. Ethan Horvath just got a move, and he's starting now, but it's in the championship, so that's going to be taken probably with a grain of salt. I don't really know who's next on the list. Is it Gaga Slonina, um, who's playing over in Belgium right now? But, I mean, he seems far away from being kind of U.S. number one. So from a national team standpoint, Casey, I think there's some alarm there. But then also from, from a Turner career standpoint, I brought this up on the show the other day. Um, this is now kind of three jobs under three different managers in the Premier League that he hasn't been able to hold on to. He couldn't hold the number two job at Arsenal. He couldn't hold the number one job 
at Nottingham Forest at first. Uh, and then they bring in Nuno, and he gets the number one job again, and again couldn't hold it. So from a career standpoint, Casey, I mean, that's, that's alarming for Matt Turner because he's got to find his level, and it's pretty clearly not the Prem. Well, that's the, I think that's the most alarming thing is that you mentioned, is that the, one of the most difficult thing for goalkeepers is to get the opportunity um, because there's only one of you, right? And, and you know, we, I think we all felt that Arsenal Ramsdale had really established himself. And then, so Matt came in, and I think we all were, were questioning, look, I understand the move, I understand the opportunity and how big it, how big it is to go to a club like Arsenal. But we all kind of felt that he was that he was clearly going in as the backup and was going to find it very difficult to to get playing time. So then you think, okay, what are you doing? You're getting yourself in the shop window a little bit. You're getting some some cup games. Some people are talking about you. Then you make a move somewhere and establish yourself. And then again, you 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 were you, you were bought for a decent amount of money. You were then given the opportunity not once but twice. And, yeah, that, that is alarming, Seb, because, I mean, you can get in somewhere. I mean, at Tottenham, I played every minute of every game for over two seasons. Um, I didn't even, you know, give anybody an opportunity to play in a cup game. So mm. when you get in those circumstances, now, now what happens, you know, the new keeper who, who they signed comes in and, and just plays really well. There could be – you may never get that opportunity again. And so, yeah, it's uh, – that's the worry. And, and then the worry is, too, you know, is there enough confidence from, you know, I mean, is there another club that's going to look at them and say, hey, I see there were some issues, but we still think because there's no real, there's no equity in here's the four years he played in the championship or here's the two years in the championship where he had this tremendous cup game against Manchester United and had this. You know, you really, you're looking at some good performances with the national team and some time in MLS. And his time in England has been more negative, significantly more negative than positive. Yeah. Hey, a far cry from the Casey Keller era when it seemed like you could uh, <laughs> turn your head one way, turn your head the other day. Oh, there's another Premier League starting American goalie. There's another, there's another Premier League starter from the U.S. Hey, K Casey, can I ask you, ask you something? I have a, I have a theory. Sure. I have a theory on the downfall of the American goalie, that one that probably came from a conversation you and I had a few months ago. Um, <laughs> this new era of goalkeeping, yeah, where everybody's got to play with their feet, I feel like that might put the American goalie at a disadvantage that that same goalie didn't have 20 or 30 years ago. And actually, Casey, I think Matt Turner might be the most obvious example of this. I feel like Matt Turner, 30 years ago in the Premier League, is a solid goalie because he's a really good shot stopper. But the mistakes that he's making, what's got him into hot water, certainly now at Nottingham Forest, are the mistakes, most of them. There's been some shot stopping errors, but most of the mistakes, Casey, are things he's being asked to do with his feet. And I wonder if the, the way that the position has changed actually has something to do with why we don't see so many Americans uh, at the highest levels of goalkeeping as we used to. I think you're going to see that trend shift because I think what teams are starting to see is, yeah, that's that's nice that that Burnley wants to play out of the back. But if you concede five goals a game, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Um, yeah. So I think what what really what you're going to start to see, and I think if anybody wants to see an example of it, 
go to the Bundesliga and watch a small club co called Heidenheim play. Mm. And, and they are punching way above their weight in the Bundesliga right now mid-table. And they are doing it by playing intelligently for the players that they have and the capabilities that they have. They're not putting themselves under undue pressure, doing silly things. But then the other side of it, Seb, is then Matt has to be stronger as a, as, as a person as well. Mm. And pick and choose the times when you can play when it's comfortable. You know, I, I mean, we talked about this. I had a conversation. You know, I tried to do something. Uh, I got caught in possession against Arsenal at home when I was playing for Leicester and I was doing some things that I, I shouldn't have been doing with the ball at my feet. And Martin O'Neill pulls me into his office and he kind of tells me, he said, look, Casey, he said, you've been brilliant for us. But if we need you to create goals for us, we're in big, big trouble. I need you to do one thing for us. I need you to keep the ball out of the back of the net. You do that and we're going to stay in the Premier League. And the three years I was at Leicester, we finished in the top half of the table, won a cup, lost in another cup final. By doing my job, my job was not to create chances for us. My job was to keep the ball out of the back of the net. Casey, it wasn't called the Carabao Cup, was it, when you, when you won it with Leicester City? What did they call it back then? Just the League Cup? Coca-Cola Cup. Ooh, the Coca-Cola Cup. All right, well, now it's the uh, Carabao Cup, and the final is here on ESPN Plus on Sunday. Casey won it back in 1997, I believe, but uh, this year's final will feature Chelsea against Liverpool. Coverage begins Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern time here on ESPN Plus. Casey, let's talk some CONCACAF Champions Cup. Philadelphia Union taking on Saprissa out of Costa Rica. First leg Tuesday in Costa Rica. And how about this for an own goal? Jacob Glesny's just horrific back pass. Casey, goalie or defender? Who's at fault here? Uh, I would say mostly defender. Um, I bet you would. That I is bet true. you would, goalie union. <laughs> But that is truly one of the worst back passes I've ever seen. When I first saw that, I thought it was a, a turnover, and the striker was hitting it at the goal that with the goalkeeper that was out mm. of position. Now, from a goalkeeping standpoint, you know, and this is kind of one of those comments like, let's say something's awkward. First and foremost, you have to keep it out of the net. Even if you have to catch the ball with your hands, indirect free kick inside the 18, just make sure it doesn't go in. Uh, the, the one thing that I think surprised me about Andre on that is he had so much time. I was surprised that he, why he tried to short hop it, why he didn't just back up onto his goal line. Look at all that. There's not a there's not a Saprisa player anywhere near. Just back up onto your goal line, and if you have to take an awkward touch, kick it out of bounds, kick it out for a corner, even do that. But uh, that's why they called an error, Seb. There it is. Uh, crazy things always par for the course in the no longer CONCACAF Champions League, now the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Good news for Philadelphia, though, Casey, is they were able to rally Julian Carranza with a uh, hat trick as they came back to win 3-2. Also on Tuesday, St. Louis uh, beat Houston 2-1. Bad news for Houston there. Uh, Sebastian Ferreira, one of their DPs, looks like he had a, a pretty serious injury. New England uh, played tonight. They beat uh, Independiente out of uh, Panama. Orlando City right now is up on Cavalry out of the Canadian Premier League. And then on Thursday, we got both Nashville and Cincinnati in action. They'll both be taking on uh, Caribbean opposition. 
For CONCACAF here, we got the W Gold Cup, which kicked off yesterday out in Southern California. Group A, Mexico and Argentina, the tournament opener. Eight minutes in, Mexico corner. Greta Espinosa with a missed header, but we're getting a penalty here, Casey. Is it just a push or a hold? But yeah, so opportunity from the spot. Rebecca Bernal steps up and she can't put it on frame. What a missed chance for Mexico. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I mean, that's frustrating. You, 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 get the, you get the call and then, you know, unfortunately just drags your shot wide. More frustration for Mexico in the 25th. Jackie Ovaya to Charlene Corral, but the shot stopped by the Argentine goalie. Yeah, good work down on the, on, on the sideline and then shot directly at the goalkeeper. Espinoza, another header here in first half stoppage time, but her effort well over the bar, scoreless at the half, into the second half. Ovalle on the ball, the cross for Maria Sanchez, but her header high. Mexican team just left their finishing boots at home case. Well said, easiest shot to save, one that's not on target. Here's another shot, not on target from Bernal, misses badly from point blank range, way over the bar from the set piece. Mexico chance after chance after chance, couldn't get it done, 80th minute. Eh, Casares here with an opportunity. She can't put it on frame. Mexico unlucky and not very clinical against this Argentina side. Game ends in a scoreless draw. That's good news for the U.S. and Dominican Republic, the other two teams in the group. They were the nightcap out there in Carson. U.S. taking on DR, who, remember, just qualified for this tournament over the weekend. Five minutes in. Midge Purse creating Olivia Moultrie, the teenager with the back heel almost opening the scoring in fancy fashion case. Yeah, I think there's been a, a lot of work down this right hand. This is kind of just a theme of what we're going to see is uh, the exploitation down this right hand side. And all of it, or almost all of it, coming in from Midge Purse. She sets up Moultrie here for the 1 0. Yeah, I mean, Moultrie getting her first goal for the women's national team, and it wouldn't be an easier one. Midge Purse was the MVP of the NWSL championship game. You see why right there she sets up Lynn Williams for the second. Yeah, just tormented down this right-hand side the whole game. And again, just setting up her teammates for easy goals. Purse here in the second half. Another setup. Moultrie's second, 3-0. Uh, that may have been a shot, Seb. But uh, either way, it's a, it, it, it ends up being a great cross. Alex Morgan, you remember, left off the team at first. Me official torn ACL, so Morgan back in the squad wearing the number seven. That's weird. She subbed on, immediately gets involved. 82nd minute, finds Jaden Shaw, who goes down. And we're getting a penalty here, Casey. Yeah, I think it's going to VAR. They decide it's a penalty. and Jenna Nyswanger there converting to make it 4-0. Uh, More from the U.S. Another penalty here, Trinity Rodman. Draws the penalty after she gets into the box and gets hacked down. Yeah, we're going to the spot. Don't you worry about it. Who's going to get the kick? None other than Alex Morgan, the legend. From off the roster to onto the score sheet, Casey, as she converts to make it 5-0. Yeah, it's a great opportunity just for, for Alex just to come back into the squad because of the injury and just continue to contribute. 
So U.S. then in control of Group A after the 5-0 win. They're back in action on Friday. Actually, all four teams in Group A on ESPN Deportes. Mexico and Dominican Republic, that's the opener. Coverage starts uh, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. USA-Argentina, that's the nightcap. Coverage starts 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the East Coast on ESPN Deportes. All right, that'll about do it for this edition of Football Americas. Our very special thanks to Casey Keller. Casey, did you enjoy yourself? We didn't chase you off. We got you on the books for some CONCACAF Nations League coverage coming up, so I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be having a lot of fun, Seb. You know we're going to have a lot of fun together. There it is, Casey Keller. Uh, Casey Keller, who who knew would have brought up Heidenheim? We got a Heidenheim reference uh, in in this edition of Football Americas. Always uh, something special. We will be back on Monday. uh, No show on Thursday, but we got lots coming after what's very busy uh, weekend. We will be, of course, covering the W Gold Cup as well as some massive games down in Liga Emeki. So make sure to join us for that. For Casey, I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed the uh, game tonight between Inter Miami uh, and RSL. And hope you enjoyed your weekend. We'll see you right back here on ESPN Plus Monday night.